today we've got two great guests. Um, one is the startup and the other one is the expert in actually raising money and running companies and he's done it multiple times. So welcome Sonia, it's great to have you here um, and rather than me read your bio, which you, uh, our audience would love to hear your story. I'm Sonia Degan. I am the founder of Atola Tech. I actually started the journey uh, coming out of my PhD, where I studied remote sensing, and uh, I designed and built a LIDAR for aerosol detection. And then I participated in uh, NSFI Corps from the National Science Foundation, where we got to go around the country and look for a commercial application for the research that I worked on in my PhD. Uh, that brought me to uh, start Atola Tech, uh, which is a precision agriculture company, although we did recently pivot uh, to focus on uh, counter UAS or, or counter drone. Okay. And, and Adam, I think it's better that you introduce yourself so all our audience can know who, who, they're talking, who they're hearing from. So could you give your story? Sure. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And Sonia, congratulations on taking the first step. Really excited to hear uh, what you're up to today. Um, for the listeners, my name is Adam Green. I have started off my career on Wall Street in the capital market space, raising money for uh, large institutions, and then uh, subsequently left to become an entrepreneur in the uh, financial technology arena, originally starting a company with uh, my partners called Money Lion, which was one of the early fintech platforms in the online banking space and wealth management space. And I am now the co-founder and CEO of Yieldex, which is developing next generation software to help democratize access to uh, asset management products for the consumers in the United States. Okay, so that's great. So Adam, um, one thing that I just picked up from uh, what Sonia said was the word pivot. She pivoted from, it sounds like you pivoted from agriculture to defense. Can you explain why you, you did that? We were looking at the current uh, current market, uh, current recent events, and that really helped in our decision, uh, as well as the fact that in agriculture, what we're really looking to automate is the integrated pest management process in agriculture, which means uh, taking our uh, sensor and algorithm and running a trial over an entire season, and then to uh, you have to check the data, and then you have to run it again over an entire season. So it's quite a long timeline, uh, which means a longer time to market. And as a startup, of course, we we, we need to uh, actually bring in revenue and serve. that's how you survive. As soon as we realize that we have this really strong application in uh, defense and security, uh, that's where we pivoted to while uh, toning down the amount of effort that we, we placed in Precision Ag. How long was you working on the agricultural project? And then, and then, when did you? How, was it three months or six months or what period? And when? And how long have you been doing the defense side? Yes, we've been working on agriculture for three years. Although we had a major pivot there in the technology as well, uh, about uh, a year in. So uh, that that was, uh, of course, uh, a very difficult pivot to do, but but it was a great one. 
and then we've really only begun to work less than a year on on the defense, really. Um, starting with a, you know, we had a small fifty thousand grant from the Air Force, uh, which got us going, uh, and um, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of where we are okay. right now. That, that, that's interesting. So, Adam, you know, it, it's just interesting to hear because I mean, one of the things Adam's talked about, but I can also add to what Adam's bio is in fact that he's worked with a lot of companies, helping them actually raise money. So. This is one of the reasons why we actually invited him today, in fact. So, Adam, you're listening to somebody who's done some, got a PhD, spent one, two years doing one thing, changed a bit in the middle, but the same sort of industry, then changed, pivoted again. Uh, and you're listening to this story. Does this thing make you sort of think, oh, yeah, I really want to invest? Or, oh, my God, do they know what they're doing? Are they keep changing? Do I want to invest in this company? Most things in life, I think, the devil is in the details and understanding the story and the narrative about how and why you got to the point you're at today. Um, you know, product market fit is an evolution. Very few companies, if any, get it right the first time out of the gate. And so I think the sign of a good entrepreneur is somebody who uh, is able to take the data both from their product and from how the market reacts to that product and find the best way to leverage the capabilities that they've delivered to be able to create a solution that actually is needed in the market. And so um, kudos to you for figuring out quickly where your strengths were and then refocusing on the areas where you think there's the most direct application. So from my perspective, both advising in com companies and investing in companies, one of the most important things is just to hear how the founder and the team think about why the market is responding the way they are, and then how you plan to continue to address that need going forward. I think that that's the most uh, important part of the narrative. I want to ask a, a kind of a personal question, and I hope you don't mind, and I'm going to ask it on all future podcasts, is that you've got a PhD, you're extremely bright, and obviously you can ra you've raised a, a number of times you've raised money. I'm right in saying you've earned no money whilst you've been doing this business. Is that correct? I've earned some. I give myself a, probably half of what I'd be making in, in industry. And where does that money come from, though, for, to give yourself half? So from the grants, I didn't, uh, I didn't have any money for about a year and a half. I, oh, that, that's not true. I was waitressing on weekends and then working on a startup during the week. But once the first grant came in, then I, I gave myself a small amount. Of okay. And what would you have been earning, you reckon, over these? I think it's a five-year period. If you'd been, if you'd left and got a job in the market, a good job, what do you estimate you would have earned? Probably somewhere around 150 to 200,000. Right. So if we're saying 150 to 200,000 in five years, and let's take it 800,000, you've actually given up. But it's not 800,000 you've given up. You've given 800,000 and you've given five years of medical insurance and five years of paid holiday and you know, public holidays. So it's well over a million dollars. Is it been worth it? Uh, uh, for me, yes, <laughs> 100%. Okay, okay. So moving on, moving on now. Are you? Sh is this the business you want? Tell us about the defense business. What, what is it? What do you do? 
Yeah, so we're really focused on uh, taking our uh, LiDAR sensor and uh, using it for detection, identification, and classification of drones. So if you, you have a drone that uh, you need to figure out what it is that they're doing, we'd be able to identify uh, that, first of all, that it is a drone. It's not a bird. It's not anything else. Uh, and then the type of drone that it is and what its intention is, which uh, especially as we're seeing in current events in Ukraine and uh, even domestically, this is becoming more and more of a concern. Right. Okay. Okay. So I, again, I just would like to examine how somebody like you keeps going in such a positive way for so long, pivoting and still going. What is it in you that does that? Why do you keep doing this? Why have you not given up? So uh, I I think um, I mean I started this because I I ha, you know I was I was searching for what to do I was at the near the end of my PhD I was taking interviews big companies smaller companies I could have gone into academia but um, I had this this itch that I wanted to do something a bit more I wanted to create something and um i think it's that same feeling that that keeps keeps me going uh i i love it it's 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 addicting i don't know so can we talk about your itch yeah <laughs> your itch is good. okay so <laughs> could you help me understand is it very painful no no seriously an itch yeah. i mean could you sort of describe again because i'm wondering whether our audience are also feeling the itch and 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 if they understood what an itch was then they might sort of be able to identify or, or look for a niche. What's a niche? Oh, uh, it's like a little feeling that tells you, okay, this is my moment. I know I want to do this. I've, I, I mean, I, I had designed something. I built it. I, I used it. I, I had, um, I presented on it. I mean, I, it was just a good feeling and I knew the other directions just weren't right. And this is little feeling that's saying, okay, you know, do something with it. Worst thing, it fails, right? Yeah. And that's that's it. That's uh, so what do you have to lose? And it was just that right time in my yeah. life where I had nothing else to lose. So, so why not? And life is short, so you well, just gotta. Sonia, I think that's brilliant, <laughs> and I hope all the people who are listening and are watching today are itching all over. But it is really, <laughs> it is really special. Do you, you know, let's go to Adam. Adam, do you itch? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think one of the key signs of somebody who's going to be successful in their entrepreneurial pursuits is this idea that you can't be settled internally if you have an idea that's going to make the world a better place and that you have to see that put into action. Um, you know, coming from academia where Sonia was doing her PhD or coming from uh, large institutions like I was at where you see things done a certain way. And you see inherent inefficiencies that come as a function of legacy behaviors or uh, processes that have been in place for such a long time. Um, you naturally see areas for improvement. And I think the difference between uh, an entrepreneur and somebody who is not is the um, action that they take to help solve those problems. And so um, it's interesting. Sonia said something about being at the point in her life where she had nothing to lose, I would argue that's probably um, not doing herself justice. I, it sounds to me, Sonia, like you have uh, a certain personality type where when you see an opportunity, 
you want to fix, you want to create a solution or fix a problem that needs fixing. And um, I think most importantly, you have the knowledge and expertise and experience to go out and do that. And that's a really key differentiator because a lot of people have ideas or think things could be done better. But an entrepreneur is somebody who actually puts that into action, risks everything on a personal level to give up that opportunity cost to actually see it through. So I think it's very interesting for our audience to think about. I mean, I think another word for it is passion as well, isn't it? You know, do they have that passion? And without that passion, I think it, an itch, it's, it's really kind of hard, you know, really to keep going and going. So um, so let's explore this going and going bit and your journey. Um, one of the things that I'm experienced from actually meeting so many startups and working with the startups is the fact that they are passionate about their science. They're passionate about their product or their service. But one of the things that they are not passionate about and one of the things that they actually find horrifying or and really, really in a lot of cases leads them to giving up is raising money. Can you give us some of the experience of what you've done and have to go through to raise money? And of course, again, the reason why Adam is here, because he, he, that's his, you know, he's a star at doing that. So, so tell us about it. Tell us how you feel about it. Give some example to people what they may have to go to and maybe some advice. Quite a lot of things I'm asking. I'll remind you. Don't worry. All right, fantastic. Uh, I, I think that one of the things I didn't expect is the fact that you're constantly raising money. There's your, it's this continuous cycle. Uh, in our case, in our case, we're right now in a, in a phase where we're we're really focused on uh, non dilutive funding, which meaning they they don't take any equity. Can you explain that? Actually, Adam, non-diluting and funding. Now I'm going to make him do some work. Non-diluting <laughs> funding. I mean, what the heck does that mean? Sure. So, I mean, it's the, uh, it's the dream of every entrepreneur, right, is to get access to capital where you don't have to give up any of the upside. Uh, it's a, a very uh, uh, difficult thing to achieve, especially for early stage companies. Um, I, I admittedly have less experience in the aerospace and defense grant world. So I don't know as much about the, the different structures that are out there, but just speaking generally about early stage startups, um, you know, it's very atypical. And I think listeners should uh, not expect for that to be the norm where people are taking uh, a, a risk on you and their investment at the most uh, risky time in the company's trajectory um, and not participate in that upside. I understand why everybody would want to do that. You retain ownership, you retain control, you retain economics, you retain flexibility. Um, it, it typically comes at a later stage, to, uh, more commonly known as venture debt, where you are going to pay some sort of uh, either current or accruing interest rate on that capital, but is also, uh, you know, in this market more than ever, tied to cash flow. Uh, and profitability metrics, but uh, so if you uh, if you have access to that, I say more power to you. There is this terrible um, problem, and a reason why I am observing many companies failing because of this problem, where they're just not prepared to accept dilution. So I kind of this is really what I wanted to you know really it's a 
I think, very important. So it's it, and in simple terms, I'll give you half a million, half a million dollars, but I want fifty percent of of your, your your business. And you've worked for four or five years, given up a million dollars, given up night's sleep for for all that time, and you're going to give it all away. And the half million has got to be spent on the business, not on maybe a little bit on some of you, uh, a salary for you, but not very much. That's hard to do. Um, let me have your thoughts on, on that. And again, your thoughts, because it's a very, very big reason why a lot of people get so despondent and depressed and give up. Just uh, more thoughts on on this non-dilution and dilution. So uh, it's not that we're not looking for... Uh for VC funding, we are, we're, we're constantly, my co-founder and I were constantly in conversations with, uh, with, um, VCs that would be a good fit for us. It's very important also that fit. We don't want to bring in someone, uh, or bring in a group that's, that's not the, not going to be a good fit as we move the company forward. Uh, but I think the timing is very important. We are, um, we're a company that's very deep tech. Uh, we we have the opportunity because it's a it's a new technology. We do have IP on it. Uh, we have this opportunity to uh, to go for um, this um, funding from the government, which is called small business innovation research grants okay. uh, or contracts. Uh, and because we have that possibility, uh, we should we're you know we're obviously. Uh, uh, Taking advantage of it, and and we're we're also at that point where we're very high risk on the technology uh, side. So once we reduce the technology risk, it'll also be much better terms for going in and uh, bringing in venture capital. Adam, I think there's a, a lot of uh, what Sonia said that makes sense. Um, certainly, uh, you know, as I mentioned, um, specifically in the area that she operates. There uh, are grant programs that I'm sure are out there that will provide access to capital. I think ultimately, the, the you know fundraising is a, a multi-vector analysis for the entrepreneur, and it doesn't just come down to dollars and cents. I think Sonia hit on a very key component of uh, of this decision, which is fit. You have to make sure you have the right investors and not always will the right investors How, how do you be. know that? How do you know that the right investors? What, what, what again, uh, advice can we give to, to people who are entrepreneurs? What, what does it mean, a right investor? The best advice that I could give, having done this many times, is that, um, you know, just acknowledge the reality that diligence goes both ways. And it's super important, uh, critical, just like in any relationship, um, it's not one person who has to make the decision on whether the relationship's going to be successful or there's likely compatibility. So just as investors are diligencing the founding team, the technology, the company, the market, similarly, the entrepreneur needs to diligence the funding source and talk to their portfolio companies and understand what their experience has been and um, uh, speak to the other board members that those investors have sat on boards with and really get a sense for how they operate. What are what are their core values? Do they align with with the founder's values? And um, also, like in relationships, you can't know everything ahead of time. And um, you have to go through a lot of uh, ups and downs in the cycle of running a business, um, ups and downs of the company, ups, ups and downs in the market. Um, 
So it's really important that you have investors that are supportive. And um, at least from my perspective, um, a, the biggest mistake would be taking the best economic terms at the risk of having investors that can truly support the vision, have experience bringing these types of companies to market and monetizing them. Um, and then also the network of the investor as well, right? So especially in Sonia's case, um, you're going to be looking for people that have deep connectivity into the aerospace and defense ecosystem, which is an incredibly uh, political and complex area to operate in. And so uh, it's not as simple as just saying, hey, we've got some capital and we think that you have a great idea. Um, you know, that's really, uh, you know, an investor placing a bet on a horse. You want somebody who is going to really roll up their sleeves, walk you in the doors of companies or clients or Congress and say, hey, this is the person you have to talk to. This is the decision maker. And it's hard to quantify that because, um, you know, getting access to an ecosystem of potential clients and revenue pipeline is is the most important thing. And the velocity and speed of which you get through that sales cycle is the most important thing. And so um, assuming that your technology um, is verifiably great and people want to use it, the next big question is, how do you get it to market as quickly as possible? You have intellectual property protections you mentioned. That's great. That's valuable. Um, and making sure that people acknowledge that, give you value for that, uh, and that you get the right investors around the table is critical. And I think that there's a two-pronged approach specifically with Sonia. Uh, you have the grant ecosystem, which is going to provide uh, capital, as well as, I'm sure, access to R&D opportunities, um, clients, and things of that nature. But then the question really comes down to how do you scale? And how do you scale quickly but rationally? And that's where I think a combination of strategic and capital can help augment the capital that's available through grant foundations. Okay. So just changing tack a little bit, could you, it's, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of science to do. There's a lot of finance to do. Could you tell us a little bit about the team? If, if, how big is your team? What's the size of the team and the roles of the team? And just to get a, an idea because, you know, listening to both of you and listening to the, you know, really huge amount of work that's involved in raising money on that side, um, it would be very useful to understand uh, what sort of support you have and where does that support come from? Yes. Uh, so it is myself. I have a co-founder who has a very strong ba uh, background in the business uh, side of things, business and finance. Uh, and then uh, we have one uh, full-time data scientist who we're very fortunate has been with the company since almost uh, the beginning. Uh, and then we have uh, two uh, part-time employees that are master students and then two part-time that are undergrad students. And and so who are you the main money person or is it your co-founder that's the main person that, that goes out to raise the money or you do it, you know, how how does that work? I mean, I think he's he's uh, he has a lot uh, much better grasp of everything, but we're there together for for everything. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're in pitches together. We we decide on uh, who would be a good fit to to contact or not that, that we do. So, again, let me talk about pitches. And um, this is the 
the nightmare that I, I am seeing that people live through. They can they can stay up all night long for weeks and months working on a project. But when it comes to actually going into a room full of people who've got some money that could invest, um, their, their preparation in from what I'm seeing, and I'm interested in, again, from Adam's point of view, is very, very poor. The level of presentations that I'm seeing from some of the most brilliant ideas and some simple but brilliant ideas, they don't all have to be technical to be brilliant, by the way, but actually going in and doing a pitch, they are really, really poor. And that is one of the major reasons why they fail. Because if you don't raise the money, and I think if people listening here today, uh, and I always use this expression as well, that if you're a startup, you have to be comfortable at being uncomfortable. And, and I'm quite experienced in raising money. And if I've ever done that at all, I'm always nervous because you're actually asking for not just a result of money, you're asking for the result of what they think of you. And that's the pressure. So tell us about that preparation and, and tell us about any failures and how does it feel when you succeed and what was it like and how do you prepare for it? It's a lot of trial and error. Uh, you know, there's a, especially with a pitch, with the presentations, uh, you you put together what you think is the best, then you have to listen carefully when you're presenting it. Uh, try to look at the expressions of the people that you're speaking with, uh, their reaction, so that you could feed off of that and adjust and try to improve uh, the next time around. Uh, but at the end, I think it's really a, a numbers game. It's about going out there and presenting yourself as much as possible. Uh, <laughs> you know, speaking of, of the fear of it all, I mean, I was... Uh, I worked my, my PhD. I was the only PhD student working on my project. I was alone in a lab. I mean, there were two other PhD students there working on their own projects. So I'm very uh, comfortable in my own little zone. But you you just have to kind of enjoy that fear, I guess, uh, and and face it and and just um, go out there and then learn from from uh, from doing it from failing. <clears throat> and then you asked about the most difficult. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, the rejection going and starting this thing, it, it's just there's there's a lot of rejections along the way that you you have to get up and keep going. I mean, right. it's, just, okay. it's just it. The statistics that, that we're looking at and trying to examine, that the actual stress and depression uh, and, you know, with mental health issues for startups is really, really quite high. And we're not trying to put anybody off. But I think it's really important that we, we actually discuss this. You're actually spending your day not doing You know, we all get talk about oh, who wants a routine job. But a routine job can be a bit stressful because you might be bored with it. But it's not stressful. Like going up, saying your idea, putting yourself out there. And they say, sorry, not interested, not interested, not interested, not interested, not interested, and so on and so forth. So it's that that whole thing. Any advice, Adam? You know, there's. Uh, I, I read a lot of books and, and study uh, sort of uh, appropriate to Sonia's business, the special operations uh, community in the military. And there's a, a saying that the Navy SEALs have that the only easy day was yesterday. And I think that it's a, uh, it's essential to um, kind of uh, embrace the suck, as they say. It's in. It's not um, a possibility. It's an absolute guarantee 
that um, you are going to get rejected far more than uh, accepted, um, especially in the early days when people don't know your technology, they don't know you, they can't rely on the track record. Um, and especially when going in, whether to pitch investors or potential clients, uh, going back to my Wall Street days, it is saying that nobody gets fired for buying IBM stock, um, which is, uh, you know, basically saying that um, people in a position of purchasing decisions don't typically like taking risk. And so uh, by definition, anything that's uh, innovative is coming at a problem from a different angle and people typically defer to their comfort zones. So um, one of the things that I've dealt with uh, many times uh, in my life and entrepreneurial career is when you create solutions that uh, are new to market um, and you challenge the traditional mental model for how a client thinks about the world, they're scared of that. And when they're scared of it, they retreat or they turn off or they reject you. And that's not a bad thing. I would argue that, that in some cases you have to really look deeply into it, but that could mean you're really onto something. Um, and so I think the, you know, the thing that people really need to understand and what Larry alluded to uh, is that, um, you know, when you go through the entrepreneurial journey, in uh, any part of it, whether it's the product development, the marketing, the HR, the recruiting, the fundraising, um, the selling, it's a very lonely endeavor. And, uh, you know, when, when you have the sole responsibility of coming up with the ideas, productizing them, you know, hiring people, raising capital, so on and so forth, um, you know, it's not as simple as just clocking out at whatever hour you, you know, you would leave a big company and going home and uh, watching Netflix. It's a 24 uh, seven responsibility. And it's, I don't call it a job. It's a responsibility because um, no matter what you do or what you have going on, you have all these other people internally and externally that are relying on you to get it right. And that's a very, uh, heavy burden for most people to carry, because especially at the early stages, it's very uncertain and you really don't have all the answers. And all you can do is try your absolute best, but you do get it wrong more than you get it right. And I think that most people that place their livelihood and their careers and their trust in you, um, you know, implicitly believe in you and want you to figure out the solution. But oftentimes they're not going to be the ones that help you figure it out. Okay. They want to believe in you, but they also don't want to know all the problems all the time that are going on in your head. Is that right? Yeah. I think it's a very fine line because you want to be transparent when things are good and things are challenging, but you also want to instill a sense of comfort, a sense of stability, a sense of uh, confidence that frankly, um, you know, I think most times has to be forced, right? Because anyone that's been through this knows that, um, you know, you have to put on that that persona and make people believe that you are going to figure this out. And I think that that's really what, uh, what great venture capitalists and investors have um, been able to reverse engineer is figuring out who's uh, really able to solve problems because they, they know that it's never going to go the way that you say it's going to go. No matter what your pitch is, 
it's always going to be different. The first question you asked Sonia was about her her pivot, right? And and I think that that's a really misunderstood and misused term because um, I, I think that it implies some sort of drastic change as opposed to more of an evolution that's natural and expected and necessary to be able to survive and grow into what your potential is. So I think it's beyond, like you said, I think it's beyond the technology because we've pivoted our technology. Um, I, I think we're, I think that the company in its in and of itself, we're, we're, we shoot for being resilient. We're constantly going. We're, we try not to stand still or we do not stand still. So if, if we're, uh, if we need to pivot, we pivot. And that's, that's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us bringing in funding. That's what keeps us moving uh, everything forward. So at the end of the game, I mean, we, we all succeed and, and that's the goal. And how do you start f- the fundraising? How do you start the grants? How do you work out, how, first of all, how much you need to begin with? And, and where do you go? Well, uh, yes, you start off with the inter- internet, get kind of your thoughts together, but then uh, just 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 do something, do do anything. I mean, we started off, we, we didn't, actually, it was just me in the beginning. I started off, I had this idea, I, uh, you know, I saw a VC event, I went there. Uh, the end, uh, when the speaker was done, I went, I pitched, uh, I got a lot of you know, you're, a lot of criticism because in the beginning, it was just an idea. It was uh, obviously deep tech. Uh, I was absolutely not ready for VC. But the point is, is I got myself out there. Uh, apply for, if you think grants will be a fit, try it. Worst thing, they say no. And you can always reapply. Uh, accelerators, everything, anything. Just keep uh, just keep going out there. Uh, go to events. Start meeting uh, other entrepreneurs. Uh Present to to angel investors, to VCs, to whatever. Get their rejections because a lot of the 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 rejections, I think, are actually more valuable. So, how did you prepare though? What did you do? Prepare what? You know, I'm, I'm trying to imagine the presentation. Did you just sit at home and doodle? Or, I mean, what have you got? Have yeah. you got a methodology? Have you got a one to ten um, items that you you tick off when you're doing a presentation? Any suggestions or help that we can give? I'm sure Adam will have some in a minute, but uh. yeah, I I I googled uh, other pre, other pitches that worked. I mean, the internet is such a great source of everything, so it's the same thing for events. Uh, looking at what other uh, pitch decks look like, uh, you know. More recently, we decided we need a video, so now I'm learning video editing. You know, you just kind of <laughs> <laughs> go with the with um with whatever is necessary but then most importantly is don't take too long thinking is this perfect i just say go out there and and do you know do something present it or or apply or whatever it is uh so you get that feedback which is the most important thing okay so adam pitching and again you know at the beginnings we're talking about there's different stages um and i think the beginning stage i personally believe from what i can see is the hardest time to start you know, pitching and preparing your presentations. What advice do you have for our audience? Yeah, I agree with Sonia that uh, perfect is the enemy of good enough, right? So getting out there, putting one foot in front of the other, hearing what the potential uh, feedback is or the potential rebuttals to your thesis, uh, your idea is going to give you a, a critical path to knowing which road not to go down. And so one of the things that I'm uh, somewhat religious about is um, getting 
feedback directly from my would-be clients. I call them design partners. And you'd be surprised how many people uh, who would be potential customers would be willing to give you uh, a lot of their time, frankly, uh, and feedback on what they would like to see if your idea were to come to fruition. And that's the best way to get uh, a sense of if you're onto something and then you can do that a bunch of times and start connecting the dots and say, okay, well, I just spoke to these 10 people that would be my ideal client. They all said the same thing about X. So now you know that that's something that's needed and we should focus on that and we should prioritize that. But I think, um, you know, on, good entrepreneurs are naturally inclined towards action. So I, I think, you know, one of the things that I see all the time and I hear all the time is, hey, I got the really great idea for, you know, this. And it's like, okay, great. Like, that's interesting. But, you know, does, does the world need another that? How are you going to do that? How are you going to develop that? Um, and really putting it into action is a critically important step and doing it uh, in the most uh, efficient way with the least amount of capital and time wasted to get a, to get that feedback loop going, right? It's not, it's not failure, right? It's failing forward. It's iterating. Okay. So there are a lot of people who've got really brilliant ideas, but just in their own personality and their own preference, they are not, they hate the S word. They hate the S word. And that's selling. I mean, they call it marketing and they call it whatever, but it's selling. So they, they themselves have got absolutely a brilliant money-making idea. They themselves know that they can't do it. Any suggestions? So I'm, I created some product and I've got an idea and it's absolutely brilliant. But honestly, if you want me to, if, if I turn off the, the, this podcast and look out the window and thinking my idea is so sensational, but I'd rather stick my head in a, in a nice bucket than go and make a pitch. What can they do? What can we advise people who are good founders and who are brilliant and would be good at it, but they just can't do it? What, any ideas or suggestions? Uh, I think, I mean, I definitely don't have the sales personality. I, I've, I've met uh, many salespeople and I, I try to feed off whatever advice they can give me all the time. However, uh, you know, you know, when it, when the company gets to the point that we actually need to really sell, then yes, you bring in a salesperson. But uh, s selling the idea, selling the uh, that that journey while it's still a, a startup, especially pre pre revenue, it's just invaluable. The things that I gain from going out there and speaking to potential customers, speaking to those that would invest, it is it is so important. I. I mean, if I had somebody that I brought in that was doing that for me and I would just take the back seat in my comfort zone, I, I don't think I'd get as far as I did today. Okay. Adam, we'll take. It really depends on what stage they're at and, and what resources they have at their disposal. If it's at the very early idea phase and you're just out there telling the story, um, uh, I, I hate to say it, but it's non-negotiable because people aren't going to back an idea if they don't hear from the person whose vision it is. And 
They want to understand, you know, it's, it's, there's two types of selling. They're selling the idea and the vision at the early stage, and they're selling to drive revenue. And I think the latter is easier to solve for because presumably once you get to that point, you have um, demonstrated some element of traction that, uh, and have a product that somebody who, to Sonia's point, is a great salesperson can use that very unique skill set to articulate the value proposition to the market. But well before you even get to that point, you're coming, you're, you're, you're starting with ether, right? It's, it's, it's an idea, it's a piece of paper, it's a feeling. And um, to take something and create it out of nothing takes a very specific type of person that has a specific type of itch and a vision put it into reality to bring it into life. So if I can just come in there, because you did earlier on mention reading and, and learning. I mean, you know, uh, there is a, a reading and learning issue here that people, and again, I, I am, I'm seeing great ideas and they'll, they'll study the science and they'll study everything, but they won't study the actual art of presentation. So I would just appeal to the people because from my experience that when we've pointed it out to people, and pointed out and there's lots of material you can have to learn how to do it. And and especially people who can do it to a good extent can do it to a much better extent. I do think it's an area that people neglect. I do think they should think about being irresistible on that side and that they should be irresistible to all the stakeholders. And it is something that you have to work work on. So look, if you're just too terrified, then you're not. Um, but I also see people who are okay but should be a lot better. So one of the things I would also urge is there's lots of information out there and that they can actually study that art of, 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 of presentations. And it is an art. So that's one suggestion. Um, it's been great today. And it's it's been really, really wonderful and really appreciate your honesty and sharing everything with you. And I wish you every success. And I thank you so much for joining us today. I think you've been an irresistible pair. Have a great day. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. For more on me, Larry J. Gould and the show, check out our website, our irresistible newsletter and follow us on social media. 